This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. Thank you so much for joining us again. We are continuing a discussion with Deacon Scott Aiken, a deacon in the Archdiocese of Seattle, Washington, who himself is Native American, and we're talking about issues around Native Americans. But today I'm really excited to to learn how did and do Native Americans continue to uh, think of injustice and what were their approaches? How do they continue to approach uh, injustices? And what is the Native American thought line when it comes to bringing about justice, maybe where it's disrupted. So Deacon Scott, welcome back. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. So injustice is something that is caused by everyone Absolutely. and experienced by everyone, even if it's on an individual basis. So uh, I'm sure, you know, in the daily life of Native Americans and in thousands of years, there's a whole lot of daily life going on. They had to do what we had to do you know they had to gather food they had to cook and they had to clean and bathe and right. raise children and <laughs> all the stuff and wake up in the middle of the night with a crying baby right. you know right. like we do uh thanks sometimes to our that's an producer. injustice that we can point to for sure <laughs> <laughs> right and they had to do the things of building homes and traveling and, and, uh, you know, things that humans do, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it takes various forms at various points in time, but at the root of it all, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a human experience. And, um, with the native Americans, I want to talk about before we get into how they approach justice, what were some of the injustices that they experienced among themselves before the British came? Yeah. yeah. Uh, an example is, so I'm a Prairie Band Potawatomi from Northeast Kansas, which is a band of Potawatomi that's one of nine now, um, but we were all one tribe at one point. Mm-hmm. And when we were one tribe, we were uh, in Michigan. Uh, and, and that notion of Potawatomi uh, as a people actually grew from a, a broader uh, community of, of tribal um Folks, there was a Chippewa, Odawa, and Potawatomi that we lived together okay. as community, um, and we 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 uh, separated in in terms of recognizing our differences that we needed to to create a, a space for one another, but still stay in alliance. Mm-hmm. And to just just a, a snapshot of an example of injustice, uh, we sat where we did in between the Lakota from the the plains and from and the Nakota and the Dakota. There's Three communities ah. there. Um, so in Michigan, Wisconsin, um, uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, predominantly. And then on the on the east side were the, is the Iroquois Nation. Mm-hmm. Well, we were in this tension spot between both those communities, both those nations, if you mm-hmm. will, both those multiple nations. 
um, because they would there there would be raiding parties from each side, and we ourselves would end up in in some instances going and and raiding. It, it was depe- it's dependent upon uh, economics and 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 on um, interactions that uh, historical grudges that took place too. So the the humanity of it was was clearly there. Just as an example yes. to say that it wasn't um, a peaceful coexistence of tribal communities in the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was tension between tribal uh, factions. Um, it wasn't to the degree and wasn't to the extent that there was a domination sense. Mm-hmm. Um, there were tribes that did that, and and I think in our previous podcast we talked about that a little bit on touching on the Toltec and the, mm-hmm. the um, Aztecs, the, Aztecs, and, the yeah. Mayans, and and uh, and the mound builders. Right. Uh, you know, as as uh, what we see in Illinois, uh, that there was a community that came up into uh, the central part of the of the nation, the Midwest that we we call it now, that uh, that actually dominated tribes, mm-hmm. and as that is that uh, kingdom or community um, declined over time, tribes moved back into the area, smaller tribes. So yes, there are injustices that we can point to where there's mm-hmm. communities that uh, took took stance to, to dominate other communities. So I think there's a certain, certainly a human connection mm-hmm. to what we see elsewhere in the world. But there was more of a balance to it in, the, in that it wasn't as... Uh, the dynamic swings that we see in Europe as an example. Mm-hmm. And again, that might come from the vacuum that was created, as we mentioned previously, from Rome. Mm-hmm. You know, Rome expanded to the, the size it did. The Byzantine Empire expanded. Yeah, uh, You can go back and look at um, um, the Ottoman Empire and just empire upon empire and mm-hmm. all these moments of when they when there's a collapse, there's a vacuum. Yeah. Um, injustices happen as as there's a building of a, of a, of a civilization, if you will, and a collapse of a civilization. So maybe to bust a myth, because there's this uh, idea among, you know, the more progressive Americans that maybe the natives just lived this completely organic life, but it sounds like they were actually quite organized. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's fair to say that. that and there wasn't a, there wasn't a, um, a building of, of community that was particularly attached to a spot. There was uh, some tribes more nomadic than others, mm-hmm. but there was an area that, that songs and stories and culture was tied to, to that, that land. land. And so when, uh, when someone hears the notion of you've taken our land, it's not in the sense of my ownership of property. Mm-hmm. It's my recognition of where I come from and who I am. Ah. is more that was what's being taken. So yeah. for, for the Potawatomi, when, when we were moved to, uh, towards Oklahoma, my band ended up in Kansas. Well, we actually live on our reservation that's defined by the federal government, actually sits upon uh, Kiowa land, uh, mm-hmm. Kansas land, a, can- a tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's other tribal land. Mm-hmm. So when we were placed there on the reservation, uh, it, was a, it was a real shock for how are we going to survive? Because mm-hmm. none of our songs, none of our medicines, none of our culture connected to that land base. Ah. And so I think that there's an echo of that in, I think, every human being historically. If we were able to go back, say you're, mm-hmm. say you're um, from, predominantly from um, Britain. Mm-hmm. At what point was there a, a clear tie to the land that you were from? Mm-hmm. In that understanding of, of culture, song, mm-hmm. um, faith, religion. 
And, uh, and for some people, that might go back many, many generations mm-hmm. so long ago. Mm-hmm. For Native Americans, it's, it's only three or four generations back in some instances. Oh, really? So, for instance, my grandfather was uh, one of the first uh, of, his, of, of my um, genealogy was born on the reservation. Oh. So his grandfather came from the land that, that was ours back in mm-hmm. Michigan. Uh, and we were moved in, in the 1830s. Okay. So to know that my grandfather, who was born in 1901, was this first generation, um, hmm. was uh, it, it's it's profound that he wasn't a citizen, as an example, until 1924 when the United States passed the uh, hmm. Indian Citizenship Act. So that's not that long ago. No. So there, <laughs> so these injustices that we feel they're very very new, very actually. new, and they're still in many ways uh, very raw. Um, like a wound that's been, mm-hmm. been uh, inflicted. Having said that, though, I want, to, I want to just caveat it again with the fact that I think all humanity has a remembrance, mm-hmm. as you started out the show yeah. talking about. Injustices are, are an occurrence of our, our broken world. Mm-hmm. And from, our, from a Catholic Christian perspective, we recognize that in, in Genesis, at, at the fall of Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. that um, a brokenness happened in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, disease yeah. and... and right. And, uh, and prejudice and, and, and injustice came in mm-hmm. being. Yeah. And in that coming into being, we, we just see this example over time that uh, is, is a constant tendency to overwhelm ourselves with uh, the distinction between ego and, uh, and empathy. You're right. If I, if I am about ego, I don't have empathy for you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but if, I, if I'm about empathy, then I can have... A sense that you you probably, if I were to look at your, the entirety of your ancestry, have a, have a similar connection. So who am I to judge that? And I think that really gets at the Christian ethic. Mm-hmm. That, right. that Christ Christ says, you know, I don't want you going out and separating the weeds from the wheat. Mm-hmm. My Father in heaven will do that. Will do, yeah. The angels will do that on his behalf. Mm-hmm. But the reason that they're, it's left to them is because there's no way that we could really understand the person that we're sitting in front of who may be viewed by a, by my like for myself say for instance I look at you and I think you're you're the oppressor yeah well that's 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 an injustice in itself mm-hmm. because I'm judging you as as the the other when in fact you're my brother yeah whether whether I I, I love you or or, or hate you <laughs> you're my brother <laughs> yeah um which I can't see that hating obviously as a, as a catholic as a christian All right but I think that that really gets at the root of when we talk about injustices, uh, we have uh, we have a lack of charity, a lack of um, empathy for the other, mm-hmm. and therefore, when we're able to make a separation like the previous discussion we had on genocide, how can how can a community justify genocide? Oh yeah. But we see it time and again. Mm-hmm. We see it come back. Mm-hmm. Was that absent from uh, from Native Americans throughout the throughout the Americas? No, it wasn't. You know, I think I think it's pretty pretty clear when you look at the Aztec uh, growth that mm-hmm. they were over overtaking tribal communities. Yeah, uh, my wife's family is actually from the uh, Chichimeca tribe, which are the mountain communities around the Aztec nation that uh, were able to survive mm-hmm. being assimilated into the Aztec Empire. Oh wow! So you know, I think those are those are worthy to speak of in the sense of trying to bring about a. One, an empathy and understanding, and two, a recognition that that our humanity, we have, each of us has the propensity to be and do mm-hmm. terrible things. Yes. 
and we have the propensity and, and ability through our created being as sons and daughters of God to do the tremendously good thing. Tremendous and good things. So let's talk about that. Let, we're going to talk about the British injustices and the more national sure. side of but let's get talk small. How did natives approach injustices and uh, bring justice back? So, for example, you're in a village, and one of the members of the village is just disrupting life for the other members of the village. How did they deal with that? Or maybe they're stealing from others in the in the village, or uh, you know, physically beating somebody in the village mm -hmm. unjustly, um, not defending themselves, but just out of their sinfulness doing that. How did the uh, natives approach that, and what did justice look like to them? So I, th I think it certainly varies by population size, and you know we, we could yeah. take an example. If you were to uh, to go out to um, Silver Falls here, south of here, mm -hmm. and the community there, compare that to put to Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. uh, people in Silver Falls know who who lives in Silver Falls for the yeah. most part. You know, it's a small <laughs> right. community, I, and I grew up in a small community, so people knew you. And if you did something that was an injustice to another, everyone knew it. Yeah. And there was, there was, by the context of that situation, a, uh, a judgment and a, and a writing that was done by the community. Mm -hmm. Well, when you're, if you're in Portland and you do something wrong against an individual, you're one individual who maybe a, a handful or a dozen or, or maybe even 20 plus people know, but the vast majority of the, of the million plus people that live here don't know you. Yeah. So you go into a system in mm -hmm. which an injustice is, is righted through a process. Right. But you're you're not seen as an individual who can be accountable for it and can be recovered from it. Mm -hmm. and I think in a in a tribal community that's that's predominantly on a smaller scale, like a small city, mm -hmm. you have that ability to hold accountable uh, ah. those individuals in a familial way, mm -hmm. recognizing that you you come from a family. We know your family, mm -hmm. and we are going to impose a. Um, a punishment on the injustice that you've done that works to bring you back into community. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, and you know, as an example here in Portland, we, we have a recidivism rate uh, within the, the prison community that people will go in, they'll come out and they won't, there was not a, there's not a regaining of them into society. Mm -hmm. There's a, you've done your time. Good luck on surviving. Yeah, all right. In in many instances, it's not absolute, yeah, yeah. but but I think that's yeah. this, that's the, the the more common tendency. And so, mm -hmm. or, and and there's yeah. there's not a, a hope to see something better. Yeah, and in my job uh, with homeless, it, you see those cycles. Yeah, cycle in, cycle out. So yeah, until somebody cares enough for the person. And I think that's to help break that. That's it. That's the, at the root of the good news. Yeah. You know this cycle, these these broken cycles that we see in our in our. And our families are not new. Yeah. They've perpetuated for generations upon yeah. generations. And the good news is that doesn't have to be the case. Mm -hmm. who, perpetu who perpetuates the negative and the destruction in the world? It is truly the devil. Yeah. It is evil in the world that, right. that, cr that creates that yeah. uh, desire for mine. Um, and Christ can break that. So in a community that a, a tribal community is an example, they, there was, I think, an, an expectation that there's a reciprocity. You did this and in return, you're going to, you're going to support that family. Mm -hmm. So you stole from that family. Well, now you're going to need, you're going to be held accountable by the community mm -hmm. to give back to that family for a period of time. Yeah. And in that giving back, it's not just to give them back what you took from them, but it's also to connect you 
to them, to them yes. and them to you. Yeah. And an empathy builds. Mm-hmm. It's it's like uh, one of the ones I think of um, in that context is Saint Therese of Lusso, who uh, who prayed for uh, a man who had committed murder and he mm-hmm. was not repenting of his sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and she prayed for him in 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 the the convent, uh, absent from him physically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in in a in a community that was trying to bring about uh, a, an awareness that you can be saved. Mm-hmm. And before he, before he was executed, he had a miraculous moment of, of being saved. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's an example of, um, from a saintly standpoint, what can God do in interceding in the midst of an injustice? Mm-hmm. He, can, he can do the impossible. Yeah. Uh, Saint uh, uh, Maria Gretti, mm-hmm. uh, who, who suffered a, um, a rape from a, from an individual. Right. A tremendous story of of how she survived that, but then ends up in in that instance her her perpetrator um, connects with her mother over time after after Saint Margaret passes. Um, the perpetrator uh, is prayed for actually by her mother, by her and by from her mother. Um, and he, he actually comes to into the faith through her mother. Oh, wow. um, it's just a, it's an, a, a testament to what, what can be done if we're looking to see the person as valuable, even though they can't see that in themselves. Mm. So an injustice, I think from within Indian country, um, as an example, um, very much was rooted in that we need you in this community. We need you to not do what you're doing in this community, but we need to find a way to reconnect you to why you're in this community. Mm-hmm. And and if that if that was not possible to to reconcile, it was not um, out of the question for someone to be ostracized. Yeah, what they called what the vision quest or be, something. Yeah. No, no, to actually just be sent out oh. to, to be a, to be banished from oh, the community. Okay. Yeah, in some instances, banishment was was and and still I think in in cases can be. Uh, a part of that uh, justice oh, process. Okay. Interesting. No, that kind of like an excommunication. Kind of like an excommunication. Yeah. Right. Right. You're, wow. Yeah. So let's talk more on the bigger scales now. So you've got the British that come over and create an injustice like they've never seen before. Uh, on a scale, at least they've never seen before. Uh, what were the actual injustices that happened in that? Uh, when the Europeans came over, the genocide, the land grabbing, all of that, what actually happened as far as what injustices did the natives experience? Well, I think they were, they, in, in the initial contacts that took place, there certainly was skepticism on both sides to, to seeing what value this relationship might be. Um, for the British, it was, it was, they, it was still this, very much of a more dominating sense about mm. their presence, contrasted by the French. The French, uh, predominantly going through fur trappers, uh, had uh, really, in many instances, very strong, good, established relationships with the uh, native communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was mixed marrying that, marrying that was going on, um, not as a means of domination, but as a means of, of, of two communities that have come together and, and blended mm-hmm. naturally rooted again around fur trading and, and, and that. But uh, for the British, it was something very different. There, there was, uh, there was definitely a, a separation of your, your, your Indian. I'm not, and I need to survive. 
and I'm I'm oppressed by this king, and I need to I need to create a structure here, um, and that here might be on on land that is pretty small. Like for instance, let's take the Narragansett tribe of uh, of uh, Rhode Island, not a, a large land base that they have sits right on the coast though, and one of the one of the colonies um, in that area coming in to impact that. Um, that that was a challenge for the for the Narragansett to keep intact, given this uh, this, if you will, it was like a steamroller of of economics and politics, and mm-hmm. um, so the injustices were really pressed upon by the British community for a, a means to build empire, and the colonies obviously grew out out of an attempt to pull away from empire. But they had to themselves establish a foothold. Yeah, and establishing right. the foothold, they they had no uh, real strong relationship with the tribal communities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it varies by by those nations, but for the most part, the the impact is that it was dispossessing uh, a community from a land base that was tied to their their understanding of their existence. And earlier you talked about songs tied to the land. And I was thinking about, you know, when the Jews were carried off to Babylon, what does the psalm say? There were songs on our lips, but the songs of what? Right. We left behind. Right, right. There's no songs about Babylon on our lips, right? Right, right. So they're not singing America the Beautiful, (laughs) right? Right. So it's songs that are very tied, very deeply. You know, our songs nowadays are you know, pop music and stuff. Just, it's very disassociated with anything. Sure. Sure. But they, their songs were very, uh, it was communicating something. Absolutely. Yeah. From human to human. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, that might be an interesting podcast to do someday. (laughs) The songs. Right. Right. Of the natives. Now, what would a native Typical Native Americans say, what does justice look like now? That the, the damage is done, countless numbers dead, mm-hmm. land, songs taken away, identity gone, uh, identity redefined. Even. Redefined, yeah. 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 Um, uh, what would the justice look like? Yeah, I think, I think justice would would in large part be um, connected to that identity that, uh, that they're, they're, they're trying to reappropriate back to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think you can take an example of, of new age and, and the, the amount of things that have been um, appropriated from native communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for tribal people, it's been a, a constant effort to try to keep the, um, the cultural connections from being taken away mm-hmm. and being usurped. Uh, but the root of it would be to recognize that not only are they a cultural people, they're, um, an independent people. They're a sovereign people. Take for instance, the Worm Springs, mm-hmm. a sovereign nation who actually is on land base that, that is tied to their songs, mm-hmm. tied to their culture. They have yeah. a, they they have a blessing of that, mm-hmm. but they are a sovereign nation who can define for, th- for themselves how their, uh, people mm. will be, um, be dealt with in injustice issues, mm-hmm. justice issues. Uh, will be dealt with in economic structures. Will be be dealt with in education and, and medicine. Um, mm. All those components that we have in workaday society 
are a microcosm on these tribal land bases. How do we how do we recognize that, and how do we give them the space and and hands off mm-hmm. to let them do what they mm-hmm. want to do to to self determine? Yeah, ultimately, it's to be to be self determining, like we are here in the nation. We want to be we're so we're so proud of that yeah. as a, as a nation. <laughs> Yet yeah. that's that's exactly what the tribes are, are asking for. So right now we're technically not sharing the continent. We're determining where they stay on the Correct. continent. Is it possible to share the continent? I think there's there are definitely ways, and, and, and of late there's been efforts to try to promote more a co-stewardship okay. of, of land bases, particularly land bases that are are uh, important to a, a, a given tribal community, that they have, again, those songs and stories and, and religion tied to. Uh, so how can, how can those lands be managed uh, cooperatively together in a way that mm-hmm. benefits the sovereign status of the tribe and the independence that it needs, but also the, the uh, support of that land base to, to keep them. So where can a listener go to find how to be involved in something like that? In co-stewardship efforts, I think, you know, certainly right now on the national level, that's being discussed through uh, a host of, um, Legislation that's come forward and and, and presidential statute that's mm-hmm. come forward. Um, there's a executive order on co-stewardship that's uh, that's come out through this administration with an, an an effort to try to allow a reconnection on land bases that maybe currently are managed by the federal government. Okay, that's a good that's a good step forward into that. Now, yeah, now, state some states have states independently have done that of their own accord. Yeah. Um, which has been uh, an impressive thing to, to see, but many states have not. Yeah. But in terms of the federal context, it's it's a federal responsibility. Right. In the context of treaties. Yeah. It wasn't the states weren't weren't allowed to make treaties. Right. Uh, the federal government made treaties. Right. Okay. So, Again, a lot to think about. In yeah. All of this. So now, in all of this, what does the church inform us? How does the church inform us? So in, in regards to injustice, it certainly means, uh, I think, uh, an, an effort to continue to, to promote the good news with respect to the individuals as the, as the first step in that. Presenting to a community our faith is not going to be um, valuable if it's, if it's pressed on like it was in the past. Yeah. But we have to go back and recognize and point, point those areas out. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if the church is to to work with a tribal community to go back first and say, here's, we see these injustices. Let us, you know, how do, how do we know if, the, if there are more that we're, we're blind to? Mm-hmm. Ah, humility. In the, in the humility of that yeah. to try and recognize mm-hmm. the value has to be rooted back in the person mm-hmm. and the injustices to the, to the person more than to an economy or mm-hmm. to a national mm-hmm. structure. It's to the person. And, and in that question, how does the church inform us, take something practical, like here in Oregon, it's been a big discussion of late, the dam built in the Dalles, Oregon, which right. created, which was a wicked act because it was another genocide that happened in our generation. Right. So how would the church inform us to deal well, with Well, the uh, Washington State Catholic Conference of Bishops uh, put together with the uh, bishops of, of uh Oregon of Portland and uh, of Baker, a, uh, a document some years back, a letter that was describing that there is a 
a reciprocity that needs to be uh, discussed. Mm. And that is that because of those dams, there has been a, a, a cutoff of a culturally significant need, which is the salmon. Right. Um, and having that be from a, a justice standpoint, from a, a common good standpoint, is this carrying out a common good at the expense of oppressing another community? Mm-hmm. And yes, it is. And that's what the, the bishops recognize. And they, they put to, and still put to, um, both, uh, both states to consider in their decision-making processes. Mm-hmm. How is this going to affect, uh, the tribal communities in the actions that we do? So in the removal of dams as a discussion, which is a hotbed of discussion mm-hmm. when that's brought forward in the snake river system, um, there is, there is support from the church to consider it. We have to be able to consider mm-hmm. the balance of the common good mm-hmm. in these discussions mm-hmm. and the common good can't be for uh, just America. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it, it needs to be recognizing <laughs> the sovereignty of yeah. these communities that are impacted. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a significant step for the church to take. And I think it's the right step for the church to take. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear that happen. I wasn't yeah. aware of that. And wow, that's significant. I want to say that letter was done, um, back, uh, probably in the, the turn of the millennia. Okay. So, uh, and it's, and it's still used in, in certainly in, in, a connection with Laudato Si, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the, the papal uh, description of, of what is our role in creation. Well, and, and uh, as you were talking about in the last episode of one of the justices is to just remain consciously aware of what happened. So mm-hmm. the organization I work for, when we have major staff meetings, we read the script that says, I am aware that I am on land that was originally populated by, and we name the tribes. Yeah. It's yeah. just bringing to consciousness. Uh, and I like that. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> the heavy stuff. Yeah. And I appreciate your perspective, Deacon Scott Aiken from the Archdiocese of Seattle. Uh, any last words? Just great to be able to share this. I think that our faith is rooted in our ability to uh, speak in the diversity of our world. Yes. And God created that diversity. And I think in heaven, we'll have an opportunity to appreciate that in a way we, oh, we, yes. we just can't seem yet to wrap our arms around, but no. we're getting, getting better as we struggle through finding the roots of our yeah. um, division. Yes. And may God grant us the grace to take these messes we created and get them cleaned up uh, through the power of Jesus Christ, who on the cross, prayed father forgive them for they know not what they do and we do pray in that vein father forgive us for we don't know truly what we have done and what we continue to do so deacon scott will you close us with a blessing yes may the lord uh, bless us in our awareness of our humanity in this creation that you've given us may we be blessed with the day today as you remind us through the prayer that you've given us in the our father that we are given all that we need through your grace. And we ask a blessing upon all those listeners today that they may be given the strength to be empathetic and to be just in their life throughout this week and the weeks to come. We ask this all in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis. A common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. 
Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.